Welcome to Cycling Industry News Podcast. I'm really thrilled to introduce this month, Rachel Burnside from Shift Active Media. Hi, Rachel. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. So we've never met in person, but we've been introduced by Mark, our mighty overlord. And what I wanted to do was to find out a bit about yourself, then a bit about your work with Shift. So tell us about your work and what you do, Rachel. Yeah, so I am Business and Marketing Director here at Shift. Um, so if you don't know, uh, Shift remains the world's leading cycling-focused marketing agency. Um, I guess telling you a little bit about what Shift does in the first place will then help explain my role a little bit. So as a marketing agency, we specialize in multiple different services across paid media, PR, SEO, creative content production, right the way through to organic social and customer journey planning. and. Well, where do I fit into that? So, so my role at Shift is very much to be the client um, liaison and, and lead on the strategy and bring all of those services together for, for each of the, the clients that we work with um, across the globe. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of the clients that we work with and in particular ones that I work with, we work with um, the iconic Brompton through to, to Rafa, but also some more progressive brands as well, such as YT Industries and, and of course, Swift. Awesome. And did you come to cycling through work or has your passion for cycling led you into working with a cycle focused company? So um, it's an interesting one. I've always been fortunate enough to have a bike since a very young age, and I definitely don't take that for granted. Um, my dad is very into cycling. Um, massive fan of, of the tour and the Tour de France and all the grand tours and and often took us um, to France to, to go and watch the tour and, and often chase it with a stop off at vineyards along the way. So cycling's always been close to my heart, but um, it probably wasn't until about 10 years ago where I started to get more into it as an adult. Um, I actually started with indoor training at my gym, was sort of doing like spinning. And then I realized actually, like maybe I could be, um, maybe I could be okay at this. And the job popped up at, at Shift sort of five and a half years ago as, as an account director position. And I thought, you know what? I really like cycling. I have worked in, in marketing all my career. Maybe this will be one for me to um, apply for. And, you know, it's funny. I thought I was a cyclist when I started working at, at Shift. And then you start working at Shift and you realize that there's a whole other level of cycling to, to what I knew as somebody who sort of did some indoor training and casually got on my bike um, with my family for sort of weekend rides. And the, the rest is history, to be honest. Uh, don't know what I do without my bike. I use it for fitness, for getting to, to A to B. Um, and it's pro probably one of the best things that's happened to me in the last three years, particularly post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. So um, apologies, got a little cameo from my dog there. A podcast yeah. isn't a podcast without a dog cameo, so... There was Millie barking away at God knows what. Um, but essentially, the big thing about anything with a new business or existing business that wants to grow is getting yourself out there and getting people you know, to know about you. And as someone who's started out in a new business myself, I know that all too well at the moment. And Shift have had some pretty notable brand campaigns in recent years. I mean, you just dropped some massive names there. So for people listening, who's you might imagine pretty much everyone is in the trade who listens to this podcast, what might they expect from working with a professional agency 
versus having a go themselves, which I'll be honest is currently what I'm trying to do at the moment. So I'm all ears. Yeah, so um, I guess it's the question we, we get quite often when we're starting to speak to new um, potential clients or just people that we meet along, along, along the way, be it at trade shows or just out and about. But we are sort of 45 person strong um, business of, of, of marketeers. Um, and I mean, I must admit that's grown a lot during 21 and, and 22. We all experienced growth um, during during the pandemic. but. What that growth meant for us, um, and I will go around answering your question, is that we were able to then add more skills and experience to create a multi-talented team, um, which ultimately is what goes on to then set us apart and why you would want to potentially work with us versus um, doing um, doing things yourself, or at least attempting to, because I think with all the talent and then the capabilities that we've got, it ultimately means that like Shift are primed and, and ready to help our cycling clients navigate what is definitely a very ever-changing marketing landscape. Um, I think even just taking social and isolation, look at how much that changes every single day. And and what we do is, is keep on top of all of that and ultimately help our clients to, to bring a new perspective and, and an outside view. Um, uh, so yeah, ultimately, I think you know what people get from us is that we can blend multiple different resources and contacts, et cetera, to, to help them navigate a complicated landscape and ultimately produce best in class and transformative strategies um, that will help them deliver on their, their business goals um, globally. Mm-hmm. And again, just to speaking from my own experience, it is really challenging because certainly when we launched Cycle Systems Academy in 2009, it was easy. You had full page adverts in the cycling magazines and that got you punters. Even though it cost a lot of money, it worked. Whereas now, online it's just very very different with banner ads and then with social media marketing how do you do it without appearing spammy and of course you can pump so much money into marketing and promotion can't you and without necessarily getting the data now people who know cycling industry news that it's really data driven and provides loads of fantastic data about the industry and this is very much Shift's world as well, isn't it? Is in using reports, using data. So how do you pull this in to really inform the work in terms of marketing? So almost everything that we do is backed with data and insight um, in this current climate and particularly sort of post-pandemic world. Like we know more than anyone that we can't be taking any major risks. We just don't have the luxury of, of doing that anymore. You know. During the pandemic, there was maybe opportunity in our space to be taking a few risks because things were a bit rosier than they potentially are at the moment. And then I guess particularly in the UK, nobody knows what the future might hold for us. So data is um, absolutely um, key. And I think it's, it's fair to say that our clients and your clients and ours probably took a few gambles during 2020 and some of them might be paying the, paying the price for that now. So just in terms of um, what we do with the data that we've got is that we do blend multiple different sources. And, and a lot of the data, the people listening to this will have access to that too. They just might not know how to navigate it. And I guess going back to your, your prior question, like that is something that we absolutely do. We blend multiple different sources um, and we have a vast amount of them. So. We have our own um, rider research hub, um, which we can chat a bit more about in a second. Um, but we also work with our clients to drill into their own data and actually have a look at their analytics data, look at their sales data, start to pull out trends and see how we can use that to build out these strategies to make sure that there is limited 
limited risk. And one of the sort of greatest partnerships that we've actually got at the moment is uh, we are a Google Premier partner, which you may or may not be familiar with, but this gets us access to Google's data um, that you cannot get access to without being one of these partners. And brilliantly for us is that cycling and urban mobility is top of the agenda for them at the moment, um, more so from product development. So they're digging into our space massively to update their apps, to make sure that they pull in um, higher schemes when people are looking at maps, that when you're looking to get from A to B rather than just walking being there, cycling's there. So it's been really good, that relationship, certainly in the last sort of 12 months, because we've been able to also take that data and use it um, to feed it back into all of our clients. Um, but I think for, for the team listening here as well, or the listeners of the podcast, like Google Analytics, like make it your best friend. Like Google provides some of the best um, data that you could get your hands on. And there's multiple free courses online um, that Google provides to get everyone up to speed on how to set their analytics up in the best way and how to extract the best data. Um, and I can't, you know, urge business owners and clients enough to just make sure that they understand what they're sitting on, because that could be a bit of a game changer for you. Well, thank you for that. So looking um, at a completely different side of things then, which is just about women's sport and how that feeds into cycling. And I'm always a bit wary just to look at the sport side, because of course, a vast amount of people cycle and it's nothing to do with the sport. And maybe that's more true in, in continental Europe. You know, um, as listeners know, I'm in Switzerland and cycling's a normal thing to do here. And I would say a tiny proportion of the people that cycle in Switzerland would even take any notice of professional cycling or um, identify as a sporty cyclist. But in terms of women's sport obviously not just football but cycling and other areas women's sport has been much more prominent much more mainstream um you know than it has been apart from certain areas so what do you think has developed recently for women's sport and will that could that is that affecting the very male dominated bike industry so I think you mentioned a few there, and obviously if we focus just quickly beyond cycling, as you mentioned, there's been huge highlights this summer from, from the Women's Euros, which obviously ran in tandem with the uh, Tour de France Femme event Swift. Um, so we were quite blessed with a good summer of sport, and now we're amidst the, obviously the, um, the, the Rugby World Cup and the Women's Rugby um, League World Cup is, is ongoing at the moment. So I think... There's a lot of women's sport out there. And I think you look at the figures and I know I discussed this with some of your colleagues as well. Like people are turning up and they are viewing this content. And interestingly, it's not just women that are turning up to watch the women. The men are there too. And they're rooting for the women and they're talking about it. Like, you know, no, people don't really want to be talking about Twitter and such at the moment, but Twitter's awash with like men and women talking about the sports that are ongoing in real time, which is, is brilliant, um, brilliant to see. But, you know, I, I do think despite the recent progress, um, sort of low levels of sponsorship um, has and, and could impact some of these um, sports. And, and I think cycling in, in a way has actually been quite progressive in the sense that Zwift have obviously got behind the Tour de France uh, Femme, which has been incredible. And I'll probably chat a little bit more about this. Um, 
in just a second. But I think you've got Lego. We're doing some big sponsorships as well with the Euro. So you're starting to see some big names get behind women's sport. Um, so thankfully, I'd say the tide seems to be turning as brands start to sort of recognise the benefits of backing female competition, which, of course, we've wanted to see for a long time. And I really do feel that, you know, last 12 months has been been the time for, for women's sport. And, you know, during the pandemic, I think there was a lot of concern around the fact that, you know, women's sport was going to drop back again in the agenda. But actually, it almost seems like it's gone the other way, which obviously makes me incredibly happy. Um, and I think it's on, on all of us beyond cycling to, to work together to keep momentum high and, and funding where it's needed. But equally, this is sort of a B2B focused discussion. And I, I more than anyone understand that, you know, revenue into the business and looking at return on ad spend and looking at what you get back for your investment is going to be the number one agenda point in every boardroom. So it's on all of us to to make sure we drill all the data that we've got in the best way possible and, and believe in the future of, of the sport, be it cycling or, or anything else. And I champion that till, till the very end. So the Tour de France Avec Zwift this summer was just the big, exciting sporting event for the summer for so many people. So tell us about your involvement with it. Obviously, the Tour de France firm was a key event for most of our clients across the agency. We tapped into it across many of our um, media plans, but Zwift was one of the key ones. Obviously, they were the, the lead sponsor. Um, we've been working with Zwift for several years now. Um, and as part of the Tour de France Femme, our role working alongside Zwift was to make sure that their sponsorship of the race was front and centre um, in specialist cycling media, um, which meant ultimately we bought... Um, campaigns across the world's leading cycling titles and, and sites um, across the globe. Um, and actually, I believe, I think the final figure is that 20 million people um, watched the Tour de France Femme in the end. Um, with, I think it was 1.5 million viewing Anamique's final push for that win. So I'd say all in all, the investment in that and the efforts from everyone shift and Zwift side hopefully paid off. I trust that you were tuning in and, and watched. Absolutely. It was really thrilling to watch and it was really fascinating to speak to other cyclists afterwards, you know, of, of just breaking down the performances. And I think um, you couldn't help but be blown away by the power of the performance, especially Van Bluten, but also the racing in general. Totally. It was, it was amazing. And actually, from we chatted a little bit about data um earlier on but we did actually see on many of our client sites like analytics that views on pages um of women's product and such had actually seen a little little spike so that's always nice to be able to add a further tangible number to the viewing figures yeah we've certainly gone a long way from when every women specific bike in the store was pink or baby blue it's like it's a completely different world now isn't it and um certainly exciting to see Definitely. And looking forward to seeing what's next. And as we said already, just making sure the brands jump on the back of it and hopefully together we can tap into this opportunity. No, sure. Well, it is interesting, again, just speaking of my own experience in the industry, that mostly working with men and training, and we get new students through all the time. And again, it's mostly men. And even when we've had lead, female lead instructors, uh, thank you, Caroline, Stuart, who was a head at Cycle Systems Academy for a little while, we do attract very, very few women that want to train as mechanics. And then you tend to see that 
wherever you work. Like I've done a bit of work in Swiss bike shops recently and it's exactly the same. It's the blokes in the workshop. So do you think that to change that, it's part of a slower, wider societal change? Or is there anything that the bike industry can do? Because I'm well aware in my business, you know, 50% of the population aren't being tapped into, just speaking purely on the business side of it. So what do you think is missing or is there anything missing? And we're just going at the, the right pace, do you think? Now, this is an interesting one because I've been in the cycling industry for five and a half years now. And I must admit, it's completely unrecognizable from when I started. Um, I think be it the gender split of the the team that work at Shift. Um, you know, when I first started, I think there was three women and the rest of us were the rest of us. Everyone else was was um, male. Um, whereas now, gosh, I think we're probably at about 30 percent women, um, 70% men, actually might be a little bit higher than that. Then what I've also noticed is that there's been quite a transition to more of my clients being female, um, you know, prior to when I first started at Shift in that first year, I didn't have female female client and now 50% of my clients are female. Um, through to like attending Eurobike and, and Rulair, like even, you know, the weekend work at Rulair and, you know, the amount of females I saw sort of pacing the halls was drastically different to what I had seen when I was there five years ago. So I personally no longer feel like I'm the only one. Um, I feel there's a lot more women out there. My cycling club has more women than it's ever had before. And that's obviously because there's a lot of work that's been done along the way to make sure that there is that change. Um, I think when you're talking about mechanics, that's obviously even a sort of slightly different conversation altogether, because I think regardless of whether you're a bike, a car mechanic, there is a of that being seen to be a more masculine um, job. But here at Shift, um, we have the, the team from GCN are also in this building and they've got their workshop downstairs and we've got a male and a female mechanic. And that's the first time I would have seen that going into bike shops. You don't often see um women working in the, in the workshop. So I now see that here and now it's just like, oh, cool. So probably when someone else comes in and see that we've got a female mechanic, it's that old thing, right? You, like you've got to see it to believe it can be you. Um, but equally, businesses have to make the right hire and you can't be making a hire because you want to change perception of gender. Um, I think the internet has, the, the internet that's a bit broad, but I do think YouTube could have a role to play in it as well. Um, around like just seeing more content of females, if we're talking mechanics, like making content, showing that this can also be be for you. Um, but how could the industry be more inviting? I mean, I think I'm probably not always the best person to speak to about this because actually I've been welcomed with both arms and like my opinions have always been welcomed. and. Often I'll make a comment as a sample size of one, and, and most often it does get taken on board. Um, if anything, when you get your foot in the door, what I thought was interesting is actually I feel it's become a little bit of my superpower, but more so probably because I've been in it five and a half years, and maybe in the last three years or so, we've really seen women cycling take off. And as such, like I'm the one that's able to bring that perspective that perhaps nobody else um, can. And I've often hoped that actually others experience that too because we want more people to feel that way to work in the industry be it in a role like mine or be a mechanic so that, to my point earlier that you know 
people can see it and they think, oh, that that could be me, be it the sport, the job. Um, it's what I hope for anyway. And I think it'll be a little bit of a slow burner, but as I say, in five and a half years, I've seen a massive um, transition. Yeah, most certainly in the, the, the wider bike industry, I certainly see that maybe the workshop will be the best place for that to happen. So one of the things in terms of promoting sport, promoting um, women's sport, was that a bit like everything, you know, secondary school and teenagers tends to be where these things drop off. You know, you get children that are wizard musicians and they stop playing music when they're teenagers with the pressures, often the same with sport as well. And apparently it's girls in particular. So what do you think could be done in education to be engaging teens and to keep people engaged in, in cycling? So this is one of my favorite subjects. Um, so I'm happy to hear you ask this question. It's one that I've thought about a lot. And it's a conversation actually I often have with my dad and, and my husband, because I think if cycling was on offer to me at school, then maybe I would have had a slightly different career out of it. Ambitious, I know. But now I feel I'm okay on a bike and uh, don't want to blow my own trumpet or anything but I got into it quite late and I often think oh gosh at school like you were forced well you weren't forced but it was like okay well we'll do cross-country running or we'll do like football or things like that that just require a field and it's much cheaper and more cost effective to execute that form of um exercise um However, I absolutely know that providing bikes to kids in school isn't really an option for, for so many reasons. It's very expensive. Everybody's a different shape and size. Like the time it would involve to actually even organize that and make sure people don't get injured from not having the right spec bike isn't ever going to mean that this is an option for the moment. Like if your family are into it, then okay you're off to a better start like I guess my dad was really into it so therefore I had a bike and we went out on on bike rides but to your point I, I there was that gap where oh you know I got to secondary school and it just wasn't really the thing for me anymore um, and I also think as well like British cycling do brilliant things to get people into cycling but if your family aren't into it it's just not going to be top of the agenda for things that you're necessarily going to do at the weekend however kind of as I mentioned like when I actually realized I was okay in a bike was via Zwift. Um, mm. And that was when I first started working at Shift, to be honest. I'd, I hadn't really heard of Zwift. Everyone was Zwifting. I was like, okay, I want to, to do this. We did some races and stuff. And I was like, oh, do you know what, actually? Like, all of my indoor training that I've been doing, I'm actually okay on Zwift. And the real-time data I was getting was making me realize, oh, maybe, actually, like, this could be for me. So I guess as a way of sort of answering your question, the thing that I've often thought about is like, well, there's the launch of the new Zwift. What bike do some some brilliant things with like the, the core rugby teams? And is there an opportunity there actually for, for some of these brands to, to launch a program and, and test it in schools? And it could be an interesting way of, of getting in. And I think, you know, it could be an extension of the brilliant stuff that Zwift had done with the Zwift Academy, but it could be Zwift Academy for schools or They've, done, they've executed some brilliant campaigns and got some brilliant athletes on board in the eSports World Championships. Like, is there an element of this that could actually be tied into, into schools and, and using, as I say, like the Swift Hub or, or what bike? Because I think that's when, you know, kids will realise that 
oh, maybe I'm okay at this. And then who knows what might happen next. But I feel that part's kind of missing at the moment because cycling just isn't on the agenda in, in that respect. Yeah, certainly. And certainly when schools are more pressured to actually be less diverse than more and, you know, budgets are tight, you can see that. But I love that idea of the apps drawing the teams in because, of course, not to be too stereotypical, but I've got a team and he's in his apps. You know, <laughs> they all love the apps. So if you can get people hooked into that, you know, whether it's Strava or Zift or what, but like you say, people get an indication of where they're at and it's something to get into and to chew on and hopefully engage with, even if your family isn't that into it. Totally. Yep. So that's something that, as I say, I've often thought about and I'd love to have a conversation with anyone who's sort of in that similar thought process because we need to grow the sport for all of us and we've got to start them at that entry level. And um, I think this could be a great way to start growing it. And then we'll have to deal with the sort of next parts that might happen when you get on the road and and the fear of cars, etc. But for the moment, let's get more youngsters peddling. Yeah, certainly. It's, it certainly seems to be that in almost all schools, there's an enthusiasm to do this. It's often the practicalities of how to make it work. I mean, my own work in the bike industry, I've either worked with quite high-end public schools that have got a lot of money to spend, or it is the special schools who aren't as constrained by the curriculum because the kids aren't going to sit there and do maths for two hours. So they're going to do something else and bike mechanics can be quite popular. But there's an interesting thing, you talk about maths there and actually so much of like what many of us do on Zwift and I guess when you're doing um, workouts on walk bike, it's all numbers based. There could actually be an angle there that it is actually also quite educational from a numbers point of view. Yeah, well, crunching the numbers, as they say, you're absolutely right. It's, it, you can bring a wider education into something that people enjoy, for sure. Yeah. So while we're talking about bringing in groups into our industry, into the bike industry, and essentially having more customers, the big, big, big one, which is kind of feels like it's already happened in some countries, so here in Switzerland, you're probably seeing as many e-bikes as acoustic bikes and more so in certain sectors. And then you speak to people in the States and they're still not seeing this big e-bike boom. But for most people I see on e-bikes, it's largely not replacing their acoustic bike. It's replacing the car journeys. So they're, they're completely new to our industry. And, you know, it's quite challenging in lots of different ways. So what do you see the, the, the scope of this and how would the bike industry necessarily speak to these individuals rather than they go to a, you know, a car brand which is selling an e-bike, for example? Yeah, so I think first things first is that we obviously know electric bikes have the power to change lives. Well, I believe that anyway. Yeah. And I think whether encouraging new cyclists to take up the sport we love um, or playing you know, a key part in how the world views urban mobility, like they definitely have a role to play. Um, we know that they can break down some some barriers and provide that sort of blueprint for a more sustainable future. And I'm sure you've been on an e-bike before, many, they do put a smile on your face. Like it is that moment when you're on the bike that you just feel it just sort of transports you somewhere, somewhere else. However, one of the sort of key things that we have, have found when it comes to 
getting e-bikes in front of people who are not deemed cyclists is that it's a very costly thing to do. You are not into cycling. There isn't necessarily anything that truly defines you that would help when you're marketing, particularly from a paid point of view, to like build out that audience. Like, you know, if you could be our audience, you could be into absolutely anything. So you're having to then really spend a lot of budget to try and reach a wider audience in order to sell them your product. So brands doing that individually obviously can become a little bit challenging because you have to spend quite a lot. So what I think on this subject matter and a focus sort of on like the UK and I think the best thing that potentially the government can invest more money in is is the cycle to work scheme. I think it is fantastic what that scheme offers. The savings are pretty punchy um, depending on how much you want want to spend. Um, And I think it's a really good way of getting to more people who could be interested in, in taking an or buying, sorry, an electric bike. Um, and ultimately, hopefully, through the comms that they would execute, actually getting into more inboxes of people who are, I mean, I'm focusing this on a more commuting to work side of things because we can't go too broad on this. We just don't, the industry at this moment in time probably doesn't have enough money and there isn't like a sort of beacon brand that's like, we want to, or all the brands haven't necessarily come together to show about the benefits of electric bikes. So actually I think the cycle to work scheme is quite a good way to get into as many people's like inboxes in front of them about the benefits of the electric bike. So less comms around like tax savings, but actually more the benefits of the electric bike and then let them make that decision um, themselves. It's sort of one thing that, that sticks in, in my mind as a sort of easier way um, easier way in. Um, I think obviously infrastructure is a key one, which we see um, spoken about a lot. And I think with COP27 coming up, I know there's going to be quite a few um, talks and and focus points on urban mobility, of course. Um, But I think you've got to get on an electric bike to realise it's for you, would be my take. They're not cheap. um, And I think you have to to experience I think one of our clients, um, Brompton, has, has Brompton Bike Hire, uh, which I think is actually a brilliant one because actually, although it's not an electric bike, although there will have some electric bikes coming soon, it's a really great way of just testing this, like, could this be for you? And then you might choose to go on and... Um, yeah, certainly. And e- e-bike leasing is certainly quite common here as well. And what's interesting for me in very rural um, Switzerland and France are the Jura mountains that are not that far from where I am, a long bike ride away. It's traditionally a car driving place because there's very, very poor public transport out in the Jura. And essentially people are just finding it too expensive, you know, with, with all of the rises in motoring. And I was speaking to someone from there the other day and he was saying actually more and more people are getting e-bikes. And all it takes is one person in the village to have an e-bike. And as you say, their friend sees it and tries it. And when the e-bike becomes more affordable than the car, then I think that's when um, we can really pounce on it. Yeah. And I also think businesses have a part to play as well. And of course, I'm sort of focusing on it being a business purchase. But 
the workplace needs to be set up. Like, let's be honest, it's not going to be all sunshine, um, you know, all year round. So making sure there are showering facilities, that there are places for staff to to park their, their bikes when they get there. And to your point, at the moment, like, they're not that cheap. And I mean, it's all relative. There may be never be that that cheap for some people. So you want to make sure that there is somewhere safe for you to put them in if you are going to invest. And I was like cargo bikes as well. I think the point that you just made there, like, oh man, I see so many cargo bikes now on my way to work every day. And it's almost every week I see another one. And I think to your point, it's like one parent's bought it. I see them drop the kids at school and they've all kind of thought, oh, that's actually quite a good idea. Mm. Yeah, well, e-bikes certainly transform cargo bikes, don't they, in terms of rideability and attract attractability for sure yeah um i was trying to think if i had any other thoughts on on e-bikes no and i do think i sort of mentioned like brompton bike hire there but i do think the schemes i'm just back from um boulder over in the states and you know interestingly i saw a lot of people on e-bikes but they were all using the rental schemes so like line bikes etc and actually that's a perfect way for people to get into it like they're able to try it that way see it's quite good could work for their lifestyle those schemes aren't actually all that cheap if you were to use them every day so hopefully that transition then makes them think oh do you know what like maybe i'll buy one of these for myself yeah certainly and whenever i'm in london i'll always jump on one of these e-sharing bikes and they're great now because they're just all over the city you just look on your app and there's one right there and using the tfl hire bikes which they've not been out that long have they 10 years it almost seems old hat like you've got to walk to a docking station and the bike's not even got a motor and you've got to ride at pygate hill it's just not as attractive as jumping on a line bike which has got a little motor or one of the little electric scooters and just boosting your way off to the pub which is tends to be what i do when i go to london nice. <laughs> great so trying to bring everything together then in terms of the bike market and bringing product for women the bike market being a great place for women to work and also with shifts work as well have you got any final thoughts or areas you'd like to share with us um i do think yeah just based on um like where we sort of feel the bike market is in terms of product as well for women and you know it's all all good as talking about what well, we employ women and we have more women in the industry but actually are the brands really taking it seriously and in mm -hmm. how they can actually take what seems to be some insights obviously into the fact that women's cycling is, is on the rise like are the brands that, that we know and love um doing what they can to, to help grow the sport and i think we talked a little bit about swift earlier and there's absolutely no denying that they're like an absolute beacon when it comes to women's cycling as we mentioned like not just their latest sponsorship of the the tour de france femme but Long before that, um, they've had the Swift Academy and the Tri Academy, and we mentioned the eSports champs, and they've done a lot there um, just to get people talking about, about women cycling and creating events and things for women to be part of. I think mean, that's me talking about a brand, and I, and I hope that you know the, the local bike shops, like the retailers and things, like it's key for them also to be um, doing events like that there's a trek bike shop um near me here and cadence which is another bike shop and they do a lot for women they host women's rides like women's events and things like that but they don't make you feel like 
oh, you've come to this women's event. Like it's all very considered and actually very natural, which I think is really nice to see those shops starting to like learn from the bigger brands. Um, Swift's obviously slightly different in the sense that that product is very um, gender gender neutral, um, but they are still investing in making sure that women want to get on, on the platform. Um, I then also think actually Swift and Raff are good ones for this and back to making women want to work in the industry. Both of those brands have nursing rooms at their HQ. Like that's an investment, it's a big space and they were offering that for, for female staff. And for me, when I heard that both of those businesses offered that, I really thought, right, you are so dedicated to this and you do want more women to come and work for you and, and the industry be more welcoming, which is brilliant. Um, I think from Shift's client's point of view, like in terms of there being like a strategic women's focus, um, every single brief that I get from my clients or have had in the last probably 18 months has had a women's strategic pillar on it. Like they are absolutely focused on it from product through to marketing, um, which obviously from my point of view is brilliant to see. Um, be it Swift and their, uh, not Swift, sorry, sorry again, uh, be it Physique and the, the saddles that, that they're creating, Rafa, they've got a vast array of women's jerseys and bibs and obviously huge sponsorship investment in, in women's. Um, and then through to Brompton, which I always think is quite an interesting one, is like they're very much aware that different genders have different wants and needs from the products and ultimately their commute. Like they know that women are more likely to want to arrive fresh um, on their their commute, which is based on research and data and social listening that we've done. And it's good to see that being part of the conversation. Think, well, how do we communicate slightly differently? Because we know that different genders want different things. Um, but I think my main piece here is that it, it is no longer about tokenism these days. And this is me living at the heart of it being a female. It's definitely driven by demand. And as we chatted about at the start, um, you know, everything we do is, is backed with, with data. And we've had more research briefs than ever before from clients wanting to understand the women's space more, be it to inform products for, for the future, but also just wanting to understand their attitudes towards the sport and, and viewing habits to make sure that their money is being spent in, in the best way, um, which is always brilliant to hear. And ultimately just make sure they communicate it properly and understand that everybody wants slightly different things um, from the industry, um, which is good. I love it when I get a brief that says, right, okay, we absolutely want to take X percent of our budget and we want to focus on growing the sport so that women think that this is for them. Um, and I guess that's why I very much enjoy the job that I do and starting to see that. And it's not being removed from any agenda. It is still there and it's on us to work with our clients to make sure that it never falls off um, the agenda and we continue to push and, and grow and invest in that space. Well, thank you for your insight, Rachel. And of course, anyone listening, if you want to give your feedback, your input, ask questions to us at Cycling Industry News, it's cyclingindustry.news on Instagram. We are Cycling Industry Chat on Facebook. Is it even worth giving the Twitter handle today, 7th of November? I'm not sure. What do you think, Rachel? Oh, it's a it's a tough one. I'd say whilst Twitter still exists, go for it. 
Yeah, yeah. So again, cycling industry news on Twitter. And Rachel, where can people find you and active on so on media to either ask questions or inquire about your services? Yeah, so you can um, drop us a note at hello at shiftactivemedia.com um, or give us a follow on Instagram, shift underscore active underscore media. And we'll be here to answer or help you with any questions. Fantastic. Well, that was a really interesting insight into your work and to some of the wider uh, challenges facing the industry. And I'd love to um, have you on the podcast at some point again in the future. But for now, thanks so much. Thank you.